It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study for may 14th 2009 time is flying we're glad you're a part of the program tonight we're live on your computer on this thursday night my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is in the studio with me tonight Hello, Dad. Welcome to the program. Jacob, it's great to be with you. I'm just sending out, I almost forgot to send out Twitter update. Uh, so everybody on Twitter is being notified right now that we're getting started. All right. I'm sure they'll be Twittering when they find out. Yeah, it'll be good. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways you join in on the discussion tonight. This is a Bible study, and we look forward to it every Thursday night. We hope you do as well, and we look forward to your participation in the program tonight. We have an important subject for discussion tonight. Jake, we're going to talk about homosexuality. It is a topic that we have covered before, but it's it's uh, in the news and there's some rather startling developments in regard to homosexuality uh, uh, that we need to discuss. And we have a, a, a guest with us uh, that we're going to interview. And I don't know if you can you bring him up right now, Jacob? He's live. Bo Perrin is joining us from Uniontown, Ohio. Bo, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, we we came across your blog on the internet and found out that you are a, a preacher there in Ohio, but you also are paying some particular attention to legislative matters uh, uh, in Washington, and you have some good insights concerning HR 1913, which is a bill. Is in that the swine flu? H.R. 1913. No, I think that's H1N1. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> no, this H.R. 1913 is the Law Enforcement yeah. Hate Crimes Prevention Act. And uh, tell, tell, first of all, Bo, tell us about wh- where this is. There's a, there's a, uh, an also a corollary in the Senate. Uh, are, are, are they debating this right now? Before we discuss what's in it, is it wh- what's the status of this bill right now? Okay, well, H.R. 1913, H.R. refers to the House of uh, Representatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, that bill has already been passed by 248 to 175. Uh, so it's already passed the House. Now, of course, of course, the Constitution, for any bill to become law, it has to go through both the House as well as the Senate. Right at the moment, uh, the bill was supposed to be in the Judiciary Committee. Um, I haven't heard that it's gone out of that committee yet. And it won't get to the floor of the Senate until it does. Um, right now, the uh, Senate version is F909. They're basically the same bill. Now, the article that I have on the website is a critique of the House version of it, and there may be some differences when it comes to the Senate version. Okay, but so apparently they're going to have the same heart and soul. One. All right. Now, explain to us what this is. Give, give us for, give us a thumbnail first, and then we want to know some more particulars. What in a thumb, in sort of a nutshell, what uh, what is this bill doing? What's it trying to get accomplished? All right. Well, this bill, the heart of this bill, I think, is what a lot of people have missed. Uh, it's not uh, it's not so much 
limiting free speech as it is limiting religious speech. Uh, but that's really secondary to the main heart and soul of this. Um, in sections, in the article, I critiqued section 2, section 7, and section 10. Because I thought that they were the heart and soul of what this bill is all about. In section 7, what they do, they put in and define homosexuality really as a category of 30 different um, sexual alternative lifestyles, including being a pedophile. This bill will protect pedophilia. Now, the conservatives in the, in the House tried to get this removed, but the liberals refused to do it. Uh, what it basically does is it talks about ancestry in the bill, and this is what I think a lot of people have missed. Ancestry is what happens when you give birth to a child. Ancestry is in between two things. It's in between race, and it's in between genetics. The heart and soul of this bill is to create a new race, not one based upon genetics because there's been no study that has ever been duplicated to prove that homosexuality is genetic. So what they're doing is they're legislating this so that all 30 of these groups that they have in here are going to be considered as a race. Now, you can't have a racial slur unless you're a race. So that's really the heart of it. Once so, they get that passed. So they want to define certain groups. And as you say, it's not just, it's not just uh, homosexuality, but it's, it's also pedophilia and other, other such sexual perversions. They're trying to get these identified. The people who practice these things are going to be identified as a race, like, yes. like the blacks, like the Caucasians, like the Chinese, like the Native American Indians. These people are going to be, if this bill passes, these people will be identified as a, as a specific race of people. Yeah, now the reason that's important is because the, recon, uh, the Reconstruction Amendments, 13, 14, and 15, would be used to cover this and to protect them under the, uh, the amendments to the Constitution. Now, the effect of this for us is that it's going to limit particular aspects of our language. If you look at the article, and if you studied the uh, actual H.R. 1913 itself, Section 10 claims to protect all speech that falls under the First Amendment. But if you don't read it correctly, you need to go back and read Section 7, which says, yeah, it protects all speech under the First Amendment except speech that applies to what we're talking about. So, in effect, what they're doing is they're going to legislate these, uh, these sexual lifestyles, which are sinful for us as Christians according to Scripture. They're going to legislate them to become a new race. And then if we were to criticize them, then we could be held under this particular uh, bill as a hate crime. So, now, in other words, if in- we were to stand in a pulpit and 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 teach what the Bible teaches about homosexuality being a sin, then we would be, if this bill is enforced, we would be identified as having committed a crime and be guilty of hate speech for having simply recited Bible verses on the subject, for instance. Yeah, for an example, uh, I think about a month or two ago, um, don't quote me on that, uh, there was a fella in Sweden Uh, a pastor of a denomination, and he was reading through the book of Leviticus. Well, you can't read through much of the book of Leviticus without reading about homosexuality and its sinfulness. 
he was thrown in jail for 30 days because of it. Um, this bill will not only destroy our ability to criticize it uh, openly, but it will destroy our ability to read certain sections of the Bible, like Genesis 18 and 19, Leviticus uh, 18 and 20, Romans chapter 1, 1 Timothy. Uh, just to mention it uh, is would violate the heart and soul of this particular law. Now, there are those who argue this is not dealing anything with free speech. I've heard that from another, a number of individuals. But here's what, you, what people need to realize about this bill. There is already legislation on the state level to keep, uh, to protect homosexuals, all these others, from what we'll call predators, so those who want to harm them physically just because of what they believe. Okay? Right. And, and, and we, would, we, would, we would actually be in favor of that, right? We don't want people going out. In other words, we, we, would, we would actually condemn somebody if they went out as a vigilante and hunted down a homosexual and beat them up. We would say yeah. we would we would say that's wrong. We we would condemn that along with everybody else. Oh, there there is no reason for any Christian to demean or degrade or to physically harm anybody, no matter how weird, wild, or sinful their ideas are. I mean, that's just not what we're supposed to do. But this is there are already laws on the state level. There are already laws on the federal level. The question you have to ask yourself is if there's already laws to prevent and to punish those who commit these hate crimes that are on the bills already, why do we need this law? The only thing this law brings to um, the political spectrum and the religious spectrum is now speech is going to be a certain phrase or phrases are going to be removed from being protected under the First Amendment. It's like yelling fire. If you're in a theater, which is the example everybody uses, and you yell fire and there's no fire, well, you, that's not protected, and it shouldn't be. But if you yell fire and there's a real fire, you'll become a hero. Well, now, certain phrases that homosexuality is a sin is going to be removed from being protected, and now when you mention that, it's going to be considered as a hate crime. And that's going to be involved even with preachers. I had one fellow tell me, well, you know, preachers are exempted from all this. No, they're not. They're not. And even if preachers were, here's the problem. Every one of us, just as a Christian, has the responsibility to confront evil whenever we have the opportunity. That means that this bill would not cover you if it only covered preachers. It would cover the everyday, normal, law-abiding Christian. Right. And if somebody said something, and that person took issue with it, or went out and harmed somebody else, or just turned you in, then you would be guilty of a hate crime. Now, it's in Ohio. I was listening to one of the radio stations I was on a couple of months ago, and he was talking about the issue that homosexuality will eventually come to the Ohio area. We're going to have to deal with the issue of homosexual marriage. And see, here's the problem is, is that you know, part of the political process and the religious process is to be able to discuss the merits of anything openly and unhindered and congenially. I mean, we're not attacking anybody. But if this passes the Senate, and it's signed by the president, and he's already said he would. Now that pollutes the entire ability of us to be able to discuss the merits of this, because if I'm on a radio program, and I say from a political view, homosexuality destroys the fabric of our nation, or from a religious view, that homosexuality is a sin, a homosexual or a heterosexual who agrees with them could go out and harm somebody, and then I get thrown in jail for a hate crime. Yeah, well, you you can almost see how how they're pursuing this, Bo. If they can get this law passed, then they can effectively kill all debate in every state 
when the question of uh, homosexual marriage comes up, they, they, we won't be able to even debate the subject because to speak against it would be a hate crime. So, yeah. so they are actually they they actually have uh, been pretty shrewd in developing this scheme to get this law passed first, and then they can go state by state and begin to to push the uh, hom- homosexual marriage. I, I noticed it, back, back to something you said about there are already plenty of laws on the books to protect people against violent crimes, no matter who they are. I think that's a good observation. And in your blog, you mentioned. That in 2007, for instance, the FBI statistics say there were less than 10,000 violent acts of bias crimes. And of those, only around 1,500 were crimes uh, against sexual orientation. And only 242 of those involved any kind of aggravated assault. And so all of this... All of this major change going on at the national level, enacting laws that will affect all of us for something just slightly over 200 people who might have been misused or abused or mistreated in some way uh, in, a, in a whole year's time. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. See, Section 2 of this bill is what's called the find section. It states Congress finds, and then it looks really the evidence that supposedly Congress has found that supposedly supports the need for the federal government to get involved with the state government across state boundaries. What they argue in there is that there's this epidemic of heterosexuals going out and beating up homosexuals and you know, that entire group, even to the point where they're arguing that homosexuals can't find work or they can't buy things. They have to go across state lines to do that, and, of course, their predators are following them like prey across the state lines. The state lines is important because what that brings in is the Interstate Commerce Act. The Supreme Court has so broadly interpreted that concept that it allows the federal government to just about justify anything by merely the interstate commerce. I don't know if you've heard about it, but both, um, uh, I shouldn't say both, but Montana, Utah, and Texas uh, are trying to exert their sovereignty. And one of the things they're doing is they're saying that if any gun is made in any of those three states, then it's exempt from the Interstate Commerce Act. I had heard something about that. The, the whole purpose of it is to begin a discussion where the states take back, according to the uh, to the Constitution, their sovereignty, okay? The federal government is only allowed 20 things that are specified in the Constitution. Everything else is given to the, the state or the people. But the Interstate Commerce Act has been so broadly interpreted that it is that the federal government has used it for just about everything it can do, um, even to the point that even if your, your goods are not a part of the interstate commerce, the fact that you refuse to put them into the interstate commerce makes the allows the government to tax it. This is what this is all about with the over the border is bringing in the interstate commerce, and the reason is because the feds can punish you more than you can on the state level. And, and what they're trying to do is just okay, here's the law, and if you do it, this is what's going to happen. We're talking at the most. Uh, that's fear. So in other words, they're trying to keep us the government for them to control us. 
Well, Bo, uh, we don't want to keep you too long tonight, but I, I want to get your your take. What do you think? Give give me your uh, considered opinion, and you you follow these things closely. What do you think is the likelihood that this that the Senate will pass this? That this will become law? As you said, the president would be in favor of it. He's already indicated his willingness to sign it if it is uh, passed in the Senate. Do you think it will it will pass this year? Or you think we're looking at this in the immediately near future? Uh, from what I understand, it probably will. Uh, last time that it was introduced was under uh, Bush. It failed in the Senate. They just let it slide because, because Bush, Bush, Bush had said right. Bush had said he wouldn't sign it. Yeah, so they just let it die in committee is what they did. But we've now got a president who said he's going to sign it. Uh, you've got more than he's got more than enough to persuade because there's still some that call themselves conservatives at the barge that will probably sign on. I think it, uh, from what I understand from some, some of the legal websites I've been looking at, uh, it's not going to stand up in, in, um, Supreme Court, uh, simply because again, that would be, you're really ripping at the heart of the government not making laws concerning, uh, religion. So uh, most don't believe that it will go beyond that. But that's not really the issue. The issue here is is that it's gotten this far. And if it passes the Senate, that's just one more step. And the thing about liberals is that they are very patient. Uh, They don't care if it happens in five years or ten years. Eventually, they believe they will be able to eliminate religion as we understand it. And 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 that has... Go ahead, boy. I just it has tremendous implications for us and the fact of the way we do things right now. And and if you stopped, as we were mentioning before we went on the air, if you stopped to just consider how the homosexuals have been able to promote their agenda over the last 25 to 30 years or so, it is amazing what they have accomplished as they have aggressively pushed their agenda. And you say they're very determined. They patiently continue and press their point, and and they are they are winning the day in in the in the public's opinion and in our unfortunately in our government and with our legislatures. And so it's a sad it's a sad thing. It's a sad commentary on our on our culture and our society. Bo, we appreciate your uh, good insights into this HR nineteen thirteen and uh, all the implications of it. Uh, we'll certainly be watching closely and. Uh, if this gets even farther down the uh, down the legislative road, we may uh, want to get back with you again to get an update. But we appreciate you uh, spending some time with us on the virtual Bible study. Well, I appreciate you giving me a call and letting me the opportunity to share my insights with it. Thanks, Bo. We appreciate it. All right, thank a, you. Thank you, Bo. Good night. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com are the ways you join in on the discussion. We're going to take a break and give you time to get a part of the program. Send us your emails, or better yet, give us a call, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Lane Crawford, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you've never visited with the College View Church of Christ, you may be wondering what our worship services are like. One thing we have at every worship service is music. We believe God has commanded that music be a part of our worship. But something you may notice about our worship is that the music we have in our worship is different than the music used by many in the religious world today. The music we worship God with is strictly vocal. We don't believe God has commanded us to worship Him with instrumental music. Therefore, since we want God to approve of the worship we offer Him, we only worship 
in the way that he has specified. In Colossians 3.16, God instructs, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Instructions like this in which only vocal music is commanded are the only instructions we can find in the New Testament. Since God didn't tell us that he wanted us to worship him with instrumental music, how can we be sure that he wants that kind of worship? We do know that if we worship God like he prescribed with vocal music, that he'll be happy with that kind of worship. We hope you'll make plans to visit with the College of Church of Christ to learn more about what our worship is like. We'd love to have you join us in worship of our Creator this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the program. We just concluded a discussion with Bo Perrin from Uniontown, Ohio, about uh, the law that is, uh, the bill is trying to be passed into law right now in Washington that would uh, make it a crime to speak negatively against those who would be a hate crime be a hate crime now let's make it clear we are not for hating anyone right nor are we for violence toward anyone and we want to talk about that in the program tonight but what 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 we're well, alarmed well, about is that as Bo was explaining if this bill is passed it'd make it so that you can't even mention the subject of homosexuality in in a negative way you couldn't you couldn't even read as he said you couldn't read bible verses that describe the sin of homosexuality the irony of it is that they were they're trying to to ban hate crimes what they would be doing they would be banning loving the homosexual we'll get into that later on in the program tonight jacob we uh, we haven't mentioned yet today uh our contact info and uh and some of the things that we put out there every week by way of information about the virtual bible study as you see on the sign there uh, on the desk, you see the contact info. You can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. You can call us toll-free, 877-381-4567. We'll be glad to hear from you uh, earlier today to our update list and to our uh, followers on Twitter, Jacob. We sent out these study questions uh, concerning the topic that we have just introduced in our interview with Bo Perrin. We asked earlier today, is if this legislation is passed, how will you react to it? According to Bo, sounds like it, you know, could be getting there. It's getting closer and closer as time goes on, and we've got a we've got a group of people in Washington now who are more inclined than ever to pass that sort of legislation. So if it is passed, how would you react to it? Number two, how might one demonstrate hate toward homosexuality? Is it, as you said, Jacob, maybe there are people out there who would demonstrate hateful attitudes and actions towards what would be some example of that but on the other hand number three how might one demonstrate love toward homosexuals how could we properly show godly love toward homosexuals number four what do you think is the best biblical text to prove that homosexuality is a sin and then finally number five and i hope we have time to get to some of that what arguments have you heard from homosexuals trying to justify their practices from a biblical point of view. And there's some who will even try to do that. All right. If you have not joined in or if you have any question or comment tonight, we'd like to hear from you. Call us at 877-381-4567 or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Let's take this first question, Jacob. Uh, If this legislation is passed, how will you react to it? Uh, We've got an email from Phil. From Phil. Yeah, Phil up in Indiana writes, 
And he says, I will lovingly and without hate continue to teach against homosexuality as the Bible does and plead with homosexuals to change and obey God. I will stand on my constitutional right to the free exercise of my religious convictions and trust that our governmental officials will not want to interfere with this. But if push comes to shove, I must obey God rather than man. Acts 529. There's the key verse. Philip brought up the key verse. When the apostles were brought before the Jewish council and commanded, don't be talking about Jesus anymore. uh, They answered, we must obey God rather than men. So in a case where the law of man conflicts with the law of God, Christians have to obey the law of God. And so I think that is the key verse in in how we would have to react if this became law. That's exactly right. But that is the only reason why we could disobey. So the only only reason for civil disobedience would be if it violates the instruction of God's word. And from what what we were – Bo was telling us – we would not be – in other words, this would be taken out of the realm of our right, a religious right to speak against such things. And so uh, we, we, we won't have the, the ability to do that if this law is passed. All right. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And we've got an email from Jonathan in Cookville, Tennessee, who says – How will he react if this law is passed? This will have no impact on how I live my life. What the Bible says to be right and wrong does not change based upon what our government says. If this causes some form of legal backlash against myself or other Christians, then so be it. Paul and the other apostles didn't go about preaching the word as long as it was legal to do so. They spent time in prison for preaching the gospel. The Bible states in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Also keep in mind Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Those are great verses, Jonathan. I appreciate them. And and yet, saying that, and I agree, I agree wholeheartedly. That's what we need to be ready to do. But it will be a hard thing for us because we have lived our whole life in a place where we've been granted the freedom to say what we want to say about religion. And that may be ending. And it will be a hard thing to yeah, adjust. It's been to. easy to preach about that yeah. up until maybe the near future. Now we'll have to see how we put that into practice. And I'm afraid there will be many who will excuse themselves uh, to avoid uh, the consequences. Okay. Uh, Mike in Orleans, Indiana says, if this legislation is passed, how will you react? Preach even harder against it. He cites Acts 5.29 again. We ought to obey God rather than men. All right. That's going to be a common theme tonight. Pat says, uh, I will continue standing for the truth with three exclamation points. He's determined to stand for the truth. Thank you, Pat. All right. Uh, Glenn in uh, Pound, Virginia writes and says, I will not change anything as per my stand or public teaching against the sin of homosexuality. Great. That's what I think that's what we got to do. But that may bring in our lifetime and in, in in the immediate near future, it may bring some horrible consequences to us. But that's what we got to do. All right. And Bob, uh, that's what's the, that's the, another the, point. Okay. Hang, hang on. To and that. Uh, we 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 may want to want to back go back up and uh, do something foundational here. We may want to maybe first prove the fact that homosexuality is a sin in the chat room. John, uh, read John 14, comments that we should read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, 
where we read, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Uh, and the list goes on. Uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, it, there, the word effeminate means homosexual. And we appreciate uh, read John 14. In the chat room. The, the, for the, in the uh, chat room. We didn't mention that earlier, Jacob. The chat room is up and working. And if you are watching on Ustream TV, you can click on that and get tell them how to get to the chat room, Jacob. Well, look at the video on your screen. And at the bottom, there will be a link to our show page. Click on that link. It will open up our show page. And to the right of that will be the chat room. And you can join in with other listeners there tonight and you can discuss this uh, topic on the side but we would appreciate if you would discuss it with us over the phone tonight at 877-381-4567 or by sending your emails to questions at collegeview.com okay uh, real quickly before we get to our break jacob we've got an email from uh, patrick in birmingham alabama who says i must admit that i have not kept a close eye on this law however from what i understand similar laws have passed in other countries and it has been shown that pastors, preachers, religious institutions quickly become the target of lawsuits over such laws. Uh, all crimes are hate crimes. If you love your neighbor, you will not intentionally harm him. Essentially, the effect of such a hate crime bill will give protected status to illicit, disordered behavior. I think our reaction should be now, before the bill is passed, to contact our representatives and make our opinions known. If the legislation passes, it will be harder to repeal. But we should support anyone who is unjustly charged under such a law and speak out about such injustices. Okay, thank you, Pat, for that. And we got one more here, and I don't it's, think I'm—I don't think my email's loading right, Jacob. Well, you've got one from Anthony, I believe. Yeah, there. Here, here we go. Here it is. Uh, Anthony says we ought to obey God rather than men. Acts five twenty nine. If our nation passes a law against Christians assembling together, would we then stop assembling? No. God's law supersedes man's law. Exactly right. That's All right. So we've taken one question, four to go, and 30 minutes to do it. So you better hold tight. We'll continue the discussion right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. A tired and discouraged Elijah proclaimed to God, quote, I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. He was wrong, of course. The Lord explained that he had 7,000 who remained faithful. But what if Elijah had been right? What if he really was the last remaining faithful servant of God in all the earth? Two things seem clear. First, he could not have used this as an excuse to give up, to surrender, or to stop doing the will of God. And secondly, the urgency of his work would have been even greater. The need for his proclamation of God's word would have been even more pressing. There's a lesson here for us. Have you ever felt like you were alone in your stand for the truth? Has it seemed like no one else was committed to doing what was right? If so, you should take heart in knowing that there are many others who share your convictions and dedication. You are not alone. As in Elijah's day, God knows and has an accurate count of all those who are faithfully living for him. But even if you were the last faithful Christian in the entire world, you would still need to work hard to teach and practice the will of God. This would not be an excuse for you to give up or to surrender in your service to him. In fact, your work would be more important than ever. If all men were to let us down and we truly stood alone, we would still have this promise from God, quote, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And our reaction to this truth should be to, quote, boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Christian, you are not alone. You have a host of faithful brethren who stand with you, and you have the almighty God of heaven who supports you. Stand fast. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. 
Hello, my name is Kent Bumgardner. My family and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Please join us. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the Virtual Bible Study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Studies United. We talk about homosexuality and our response to it and our treatment of those who are engaged in the sin. Let us know your thoughts tonight. Jacob, just on that point that you just made, Bob in Indianapolis, Indiana writes, I still think the issue is not one of being a homosexual, but practicing homosexuality. Compare that to heterosexuals. The difference is that there's a legitimate biblical way to practice the latter. It gets back to condemning the sin, not the sinner. Did God make you homosexual? Even if that was so, he says, go and sin no more. Now, I, I think that's the point, and we've made that point before on the virtual Bible study, that what what's condemned in the Bible is the practice of the sin. It's it, People have inclinations to all kinds of sins, and we fight temptations. Uh, heterosexuals have the temptation to commit sexual sins. Type A hot-headed people have temptations. Too. Right. And so there's all kinds of temptations, and you might have different people have more inclination or more susceptibility to different temptations than others. What's condemned in the Bible is the practice of sin, the yielding to temptation. And so uh, I think Bob makes a, a worthy point here that That's, someone someone might have an inclination toward homosexuality, but the sin is the practice. You, you even I, I, I've made the point before, we can really stop arguing about what causes a homosexual to be a homosexual. We can just admit he is. He has that inclination. Romans he, one tells us it's unnatural, but it uh, we unnatural. don't have we don't have to go down that. We don't road. have to argue it. I mean, uh, we just can say you can't practice it. If, if that's your preference for whatever reason, you can't practice your preference. And that's the unique thing about this sin is that those who are engaged in it want to defend it as being something that they're born with and something that they can't help. Those who are alcoholics don't try and say, well, it's this the way I am, and that's the way I'm going to be. Or those who have a, a, a foul mouth or a bad temper, you know, they don't say, well, if you have that ten- t- tendency, you just need to go ahead and, and beat people up when you get mad. But the homosexuals want you to think if you are tempted that way, that that's the way you are, don't fight it. Just be that way. And uh, we, we need to understand that the Bible tells us the opposite of that. Okay, good point. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview. Com. Join in on the discussion now. Jacob, we're not going to get all our questions if we don't hurry up here. Number two, how might one demonstrate hate toward homosexuals? This this is a hate crimes bill that's being debated in the Senate and the House of Representatives. Is it possible that someone could be guilty of hate toward homosexuals? And I, I, I think the answer is yes. Uh, Phil says uh, it would be hateful to be so repulsed and disgusted by their lifestyle that I'll have nothing to do with even talking to them in a civil way or teaching them the gospel. So he says it'd be a hateful thing to to avoid them to the point of not being willing to teach them what they need to do to, to be saved. Certainly. All okay. right. Uh, Jonathan says... Uh, how one might one dis- demonstrate hate towards homosexuals? Unnecessary hatred could be shown through violence or remarks that are not intended to teach someone the way he or she should be living. I think that's a good point. I mean, uh, we, we want to be careful about our speech. If our speech is not intended to be corrective or instructive, but just just hateful, then there's there's no purpose for it. When do you think about some of the jokes that are told about homosexuals? Well, we wouldn't make the same jokes about a fornicator or an, adu- or an adulterer. Uh, it's, that's, it's not funny. And so we shouldn't be making jokes about it. Okay. Uh, Mike in in Indiana says we should not hate the individual, but the sin, the un, uh, uh, but the sin, ungodly attitude. 
we need to hate what God hates. Uh, Psalm 109, verse 4, Though your pre- through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Proverbs 6, beginning verse 16, Remember the seven things the Lord hates. Of these are a heart that devises wicked, devises wicked plans and feet that are swift in running to evil. Those who plan to engage in the homosexual lifestyle are guilty of these. God hates a false witness who speaks lies. Those who lie proclaiming homosexuality is acceptable in the sight of God. That's a false witness. And one who sows discord among brethren, those who would divide the church by claiming we should accept them in their sin. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right. Pat says that we could show hate by showing physical or verbal abuse. Anything that would not be done in a Christ-like manner would be demonstrating hate. And being mean to homosexuals can be just as wrong as any other sin. Thank you, Pat, for those comments. All right. And Glenn says, uh, by physically harming one who commits this sin, Christians are nowhere in God's word commanded or given permission to physically harm a sinner. While some believe they must engage in jihad to serve Allah, Christians do not fight sin with carnal weapons to serve God. 2 Corinthians 10, beginning verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Good observation there, Glenn. Thank you. Uh, Pat in Birmingham says, are we talking actual hate or imagined hate? If actual hate, I would say that mistreating such individuals in any way based on their orientation would be hate. Uh, for example, slander, cursing, physically abusing the person or cheating them financially or otherwise, anything that would be hate to any human would also be hateful toward a homosexual individual. What is not hate is being straightforward with them that the behavior is sinful, that it is an offense against God and that it is self-destructive behavior. It is not hate to insist that marriage be solely between a man and a woman. This is not denying anyone the right to marry, but it is establishing that this is the proper way of marriage Anything else is not marriage, even if you call it that. Okay. Thank you, Pat, for those comments. Down you go. Uh, The next one. There we go. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Anthony in Columbia says, well, um, what this legislation says is hate and what is actually hate are likely two very different things. True hatred toward homosexuals would be to belittle them, use epithets, uh, treat them badly, kill, rob, etc., of course, another form of hatred would be to withhold the truth from them. And that echoes what Dean in the chat room says by failing to warn them of the danger of their lifestyle, uh, that the, failing to warn them of the danger their lifestyle presents to their souls. So failing to tell them the truth about what God says about their lifestyle would be actually hatred, which, again, would be the opposite of what uh, this law would understand and define as hatred. So we appreciate those good comments tonight. Okay, now the the next question goes quickly in hand with that question. How do you show love? In other words, what what would be some manifestations of a true hate toward a homosexual? What is the proper way that we should show love toward a homosexual? And uh, Phil in Indiana says yeah. to try to truly understand why this has happened and think through the painful process of repentance. People in foreign countries appreciate when you take the time to at least try to learn their language. Love tries to see things through the eyes of the other person. And right. so this is something that people are, are struggling with, and so we need to, to treat them accordingly and appreciate Phil to for be, bringing that To up. be understanding, not tolerant. No, no. We're not tolerating the sin, but we're trying to understand. And, and, this is a real, uh, this and, is a real and, challenge to them, and we yeah. need to try and And if you get to the point of, of trying to understand them, you can be more able to help them okay okay uh and jonathan says uh 
Uh, I know you have lots of good answers to this question. I'll take a different approach. Contrary to the popular belief today, it is definitely not showing love to homosexuals by portraying tolerance to this lifestyle. Okay, certainly. Thank you, Jonathan. And Michael says that the greatest love that we can show them is to teach them the truth to save their souls. James chapter 1, verse 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. All right. Uh, And then we've got uh, Pat who says, Teaching the truth and showing what God has said and done to cities that practice such things. Also showing that God will forgive such practice. Two two things there, he says, Jacob. Uh, make sure that we explain to them that God uh, has always judged this sin, but also show that God's a forgiving God and that he can forgive this sin. Good point. Certainly, and uh, he wants to forgive and their repentance and forgiveness should be our priority as well, just as it is God's. And then Glenn says that by teaching them the truth about their sin and then helping them succeed in overcoming it with our prayers and encouragement. All right. Uh, Pat in Birmingham says, as mentioned uh, before, instructing someone of the error of their ways is not hateful. It's an expression of love as long as it's done in, a, in humility and not arrogantly. Besides that, any good deed done to anyone would also be an expression of love toward the homosexual person. There are few good or evil deeds that are restricted to certain classes of people. Orphans, widows, and the poor are special classes, for example. But he said, in other words, his answer is kind of interesting. He says, well, you, you, you would show hate to them the same way you hate show hate to other uh, anybody, and you would show love to them the same way that you show love to anybody. Good, good pretty, point, Pretty Pat. good. Yeah. All right. And then I think we've got one more from Anthony. Uh, who says we ought to always treat others the way we want to be treated. Just because we find a person's particular sinful lifestyle especially sickening does not give us the right to act hatefully toward them or harbor hatred in our hearts. This is totally unchristlike. Do we openly revile the drunkard, the liar, the bigot, the covetous person? Not usually. We need to be very careful against harboring hatred. God hates sin, but I don't believe he hates sinners, Revelation 2, 6, John three sixteen. So we should do the same. But anyway, the best way we can demonstrate love to homosexuals is to speak the truth and love Ephesians 4, 15, as in Hebrews 12, 6, chastening is a demonstration of love. Okay, thank you for those good points, Anthony. Appreciate those comments tonight. We've got two more questions to go. We might jump to a break here and get ready for the last two questions. We want to go... Sort of by way of review of some of the things we've talked about in the virtual Bible study in the past, day, we want to talk about biblical texts that do demonstrate that homosexuality is a sin. And then, for whatever time we have available, try to deal with some of their arguments, some of the arguments that are made. There are some who would try to argue from the Bible and try to justify homosexuality from the Bible. We'll try to look at some of those passages. And we have plenty of time to take a call from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Join in on the discussion now. We have two more questions to go, but again, plenty of time. We'll take this break and give you an opportunity to call us now. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues after these important messages. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? 
generally people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're a part of it tonight. We look forward to hearing from you in the remaining minutes of our program. Please give us a call or send us an email. We would love to hear from you on the program. We're going to talk now about what the Bible does teach about the important subject of homosexuality. What do you think is the best biblical text or text to prove that homosexuality is a sin? Call in now or send us your emails and let us know your thoughts. We have some comments from our listeners so far. We'd love to hear from you. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 is cited by Phil in Indiana. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Dad, and as we think about the biblical arguments against homosexuality, it would be a good time for us to review these, make notes, and be ready when we are in discussions with people, to show them what the Bible truly teaches. We can't just say it's wrong and then not have uh, anything to go by to, to show that it is wrong. I think that the two passages that Phil mentioned are the two strongest ones in the New Testament. They're powerful. Romans 1, 26 and 27, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Uh, certainly strongly condemns homosexuality. And then the other that he mentions is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Uh, and you read this earlier, Jacob, the King James Version mentions among a list of sinners it mentions the effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind newer versions will translate that sometimes as homosexuals male prostitutes uh, that sort of terminology what's interesting in that text is that paul goes on to say such were some of you talking to the corinthians but you're washed you're sanctified you're justified in the name of our lord jesus and by the spirit of god proving that they can repent and be forgiven, even of the sin of those sins. And so, those are two great passages. Thank you, Phil. Yes, don't stop at uh, verse ten on First Corinthians chapter six. Go on to verse eleven, and that uh, proves that you can change, just as you can change with any sin. And when you change, you should be uh, forgiven by uh, you will be forgiven by God, and you should be forgiven by your fellow man as well. And so, we need to be ready uh, to forgive. Thank you for those comments, Phil. Jonathan in Cookville references the same two passages. Thank you, Jonathan. All right. And Michael in Indiana references first uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and he gets a little bit more of the context there. But he also references Genesis chapter 19, back to the Old Testament. 
Genesis chapter 19, beginning of verse 4, where we read. This is going to be, yeah. this is going to be uh, the sin of Sodom. Okay. In Genesis 19, verse 4, uh, when the, the, the visitors to the city sent by God had come there, and they were in the house of Lot. Uh, Lot was uh, was going to host them that night. He was afraid for them to spend the night in the open square of the city. Uh, and so when, before they lay down, it says, verse 4, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said to him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Uh, and we've, I think most are familiar with the the horrible episode there in Sodom and God's punishment upon that city in the same chapter, verses 24 and 25, the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he, he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. God's strong judgment against Sodom would be a statement concerning how he views that sin. I think that's what he's saying there. And he cross-references 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Verse 6 says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them example to those that after should live ungodly. And so the uh, the, the reference there is that uh, they were living ungodly in that sin of homosexuality. He also references Leviticus chapter 18. Now, this is, again, Old Testament law, so it is not binding on us today, but it does show how God viewed the sin in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. And then he references 20, verse 13, which will have similar language. 20, verse 13 says, If a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And so it was a terrible sin in the Old Testament, as is today. had uh, drastic consequences in the Old Testament. In Galatians, uh, Mike also mentions Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, which is a listing of the works of the flesh included in those works of the flesh, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Homosexuality would be a form of, of uh, fornication. And those which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, verse 21 says. All right, and he references 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning of verse 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Okay, um, then Pat mentions all the same verses we just mentioned, Genesis 19, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5. He adds uh, Revelation 21, verse 8, the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm satisfied that that homosexuals would be in there, although I don't see them specifically mentioned. Probably you could include them among the abominable. These are abominable deeds in the eyes of God. Possibly uh, it could be included in the terminology whoremongers, but I'm not sure there. Okay, Glenn uh, references 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Thank you, Glenn. And that, and that passage is really a strong one. That's been coming up again and again. All right. All right, and so... We've what got we got? A, oh, we got we got some more. I, uh, I see I, the same. Anthony references the same that have been uh, noted. Where by a process of elimination, we're taking away the uh, the answers from those who were later and, on and, in the list. Uh, uh, 
Pat in Birmingham has a long list. Genesis 1, verse 28, uh, uh, which says, God bless them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. The very first command God gave to mankind is to be fruitful, multiply. It takes a man and a woman to be fruitful and multiply. Leviticus 18:22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Leviticus 22, verse 24, ye shall not offer to the Lord any beast that hath the testicles bruised or crushed or cut and taken away. Neither shall you do such things in your land. Uh, that was about offerings there. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. I'm not sure what that, I'm not sure how that one applies. Um uh, he says, here's his comments. Although the text specifically prohibits sterilizing animals, the Jews in their misvot uh, interpreted this prohibition to include humans as well. I quote the verses from Deuteronomy and 1 Corinthians to support the idea that laws regarding animals may be applied to human beings as well. Although the verses most directly teach the sinfulness of sterilization, it can also be seen how clearly God desires species to reproduce and that the natural productive process not be intentionally thwarted. Homosexuality is an intentional slap in the face of God regarding his gift of fertility. Uh, he, he goes on to mention Genesis 38, 8 through 10, Deuteronomy 25, 9 through 12. Uh, he says uh, that that has to do with the house of, or the story of Onan. Uh, talking about how seriously God takes the issue of fertility and man's effort to distort his gift of fertility. Uh, all right. We appreciate so several there from Patrick in Birmingham. We appreciate all the verses that have been cited tonight. Uh, we uh, need to be prepared uh, to give a defense of what the Bible says about uh, this sin, as well as other sins that others might be engaged in. We would want them to repent of those sins, whatever they may be, because we realize those sins are detrimental to their physical well-being here on the earth. Their life is harmed, their physical life is harmed as a result of their sin, uh, but also their spiritual well-being is uh, a detriment as well, and uh, destruction ultimately is their lot if they do not repent. Real quickly, Jake, we're going to run out of time before we get all this, but I wanted to hear what some of our listeners, our viewers, had heard by way of positive argumentation from the homosexual community. Uh, uh, Phil says... He has heard them say, I'm only living the lifestyle that is natural to me. This is who I am. I have never known any other way. Um, now, in other words, he's not saying he's just saying that's what that's the argument that he's heard to make. Well, think about the logical implications of that. You could say the same thing about a polygamist. You could say the same thing about a cannibal. A cannibal says that's all. That's all I've ever known. My my family, my, my we've always we've me. always eat people. That's what we've always done. That's who I am. That's what I do. Or, or the pedophile, you know, that's 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 the way I am. That's what I do. I mean, so that that obviously is a flawed argument, but uh, I, I'm sure they would try to, to do that. But Jonathan has similar arguments. He's heard, I was born this way. It's just the way God made me. I can't help who I love. And times have changed. Well, times it, has have never, changed. it has never been proved that homosexuals are born that way. There have been desperate effort to try and prove that. The homosexuals for, for decades have engaged in all kind of enterprise to try and prove some kind of genetic link or cause to homosexuality has never been proven they haven't done it uh and therefore you can't say you were born that way and god made you that way but even if they did jacob even if it could be proven the fact of the matter still is that the act is 
forbidden. And so even if they were successful in proving that, and they've not been successful, but even if they were, it still wouldn't justify the action. All right. And I believe who we're looking at here, um, we're looking at Michael. He says the story of Sodom and Gomorrah only condemns rape. They would say that uh, that was the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah. The more they were wanting to commit rape, which they were, but there there was sin there before but, but the, the men passages, got there. But the passages in Leviticus forbid a man laying with a man as he lies with a woman. It, it doesn't say whether that's – it doesn't specify that as being some kind of, of forced act. It, it, it just says that the act itself is forbidden. Okay. He says uh, another argument is scriptures condemning gay sex only condemns fornication or sex outside of marriage. We force gays to sin by for, forbidding them to marry. But if they if homosexual marriage was enacted, then homosexuality would be okay. That, that's what homosexuals try to say. As long as as long as it's in a loving relationship, it's not condemned in scriptures. I don't see that distinction. I don't see the distinction anywhere in the scriptures. And then another one that they like to use: uh, they often say gay sex is not condemned, but the passages that seem to condone it condemn it only do so because it is often closely associated with pagan practices. Uh, they, they, for instance, in Romans chapter one, the problem was that they were denying God and they were worshiping these idols and they were. Committing, committing the homosexuality sin, in their, their worship, worship to the to the idol. I don't think. Again, go back to the plain statements in the Old Testament law that are not connected with anything. First Corinthians than, chapter six is not connected to any kind of pagan activity. Of course, Corinth was a pagan city, and that, the argument could be made that that they were gauging that as part of their pagan religious rites. Uh, but again, you got to make a leap there. The the text doesn't connect it. All right. Um, well, you know. Uh, okay. Uh, we could leave it at that. Uh, he says, many passages such as Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, or Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, only condemn men who are not gay engaged engaging in homosexuality. Uh, I've, I've heard that. And I've it, heard that too, but it, I'm it's, if, if, it's, if you weren't born that way, it's a sin for you, but it's not a sin if you're born that way. That, uh, again, is uh, a distinction that's not made in scriptures. And usually they go to Greek or Hebrew, Michael says, words and show how those words are connected to pagan practices, such as an uh, I can't pronounce that word or that word or that or a catamite, saying they are only condemning pedophilia or pagan practices associated uh, that are associated again, with it. Again, their burden is to prove that in the text. And I don't think it's provable. Okay. Um, uh, who is this? Pat says they argue I was born this way. I have the right to be happy. You have no right to judge me. Interesting. Fornicators use the same uh, excuse. I have the right to be happy. God wants me to be happy, and so I can be engaged in these illicit relationships. If, if that's the if that's the basis for for justifying actions, there's no action that you couldn't justify. I can only be happy if I can murder you, and I have a right to be happy. Therefore, I have a right to murder well, you. God wants us to be happy, but he's the one who defines yeah. how we get there, yeah. uh, not us. We've tried, and we made a mess of our lives. Uh, Glenn says, "Born." he hears them say, I was born this way. God loves all people, though we are weak and sinful. God does not condemn homosexuality. He condemns being unfaithful to one's partner. Again, that's that's sort of the way that, – that argument is the argument they're making most often now, that the only thing the Bible condemns is is abuses of sexual relationship. And as long as this is engaged in in a loving relationship, the Bible doesn't condemn it. But that that's a, you can't make that distinction in the Scripture. Randy in Jackson, Missouri says, I heard a long radio show a while back in which the speaker tried to make the case that the Bible is not against homosexual relationships but against illicit sex. He, condemned, he contended that God was okay with committed gay relationships. 
Uh, again, Randy's hearing the same things we're hearing. And then uh, Anthony says, I haven't spent much, time, spent much time listening to homosexuals defend themselves. The only thing that comes to mind is God made me this way, so how could he consider it a sin? It's interesting that you almost never hear the gay gene or I was born this way argument anymore. The, in the early days of the gay pride movement, this was the constant appeal. They can't help it. They were born this way. I think it's very telling that this argument has been abandoned as homosexuality has become more accepted. People don't need an excuse to pervert themselves anymore. It's accepted as a worthy lifestyle choice. This shows, I believe, the whole idea I was born this way was just a ploy to gain public favor. And Pat in Birmingham says he's heard them say I was born this way or it's genetic. Uh, He's heard him say it doesn't really matter as long as you love the person. God can't condemn me for loving someone. And he's heard them say the human person is spiritual. The spirit just happens to inhabit a male or female body, but the spirit has no gender. Therefore, it is a relationship between two spiritual beings and not between males or females. I haven't heard that, but uh, it's interesting. They're saying, well, we're spiritual beings. It doesn't matter what we do with our bodies, basically. You need to pop out of that screen and make sure that you haven't missed any messages. You have oh, missed yeah. some. I missed some more uh, messages. We're almost out of time. Yeah. But, uh, 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 Aaron says Jesus did speak on homosexuality. People defending the homosexual lifestyle will sometimes say that we should imitate Jesus, and Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Well, in the first place, it doesn't matter whether Jesus personally addressed the issue or whether that was left to the Holy Spirit to send to supplement Jesus' teaching with additional details of the divine will. Nevertheless, Jesus did say something about it. Jesus condemned fornication as an evil thing that defiles, Mark 7, verse 21, for example. When Jesus spoke on the subject of marriage, he gave it a specific definition, a man cleaving to his wife. And in that relationship, they become one flesh. Any other sexual contact is fornication and thus condemned by Jesus' own words. Jesus defined marriage and condemned any other sexual contact as fornication. Exactly right. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron, for that comment. Um, the, on the last question, Perry uh, from Chattanooga says, one of the main justifications I've heard from those who practice homosexuality is the statement that God created me this way. Therefore, I don't have a choice. And, and in fact, God accepts me because he's the one who created me like this. Again, never been proven. They, they've tried, uh, but they've never been able to to prove that uh and then we've got a we've got a, a law i don't have time nathan and Holdenwald has sent a long one in uh saying that the american psychological association publication uh includes an admission that there's no homosexual gene and then he he goes into some gives some quotes and so forth but he's saying the attempt to prove that homosexuality is determined biologically has been dealt a knockout punch an american psychological association publication includes an admission that there's no homosexual gene, meaning it's not likely that homosexuals are born that way. Uh, And then he cites a statement from the American Psychological Association in 1998, uh, uh, so forth and so on. Uh, I'm sorry, Nathan, didn't get time to read all that on the air, but uh, uh, he's got uh, quite a bit of documentation there. Thank you for that. Thank you for your comment. I'll study it more. All right, Dad, thank you for the good discussion. Uh, it certainly is a sobering thought, and uh, we need to be prepared for the consequences that may come from loving the homosexual as we must, as the Scriptures demand, and that would include uh, telling them that they're not in a right relationship with God due to their lifestyle. Exactly right. This H.R. 1913, be watching for that and the Senate version that goes along with it and, and be kind of watching in the news because we may 
suddenly have a, a real issue on our hands if this passes and the president signs it into law. Thanks to Bo Parent for being a part of the program Thank you, tonight. Bo. Appreciate the good information tonight. And thank you to you, our listeners, for being a part of the program as well. We hope you benefited from the discussion tonight. If you disagree with us or you would like to discuss this with us in further detail, we would encourage you to contact us anytime. Questions at collegeview.com or 877 877- Three eight one four five six seven. We look forward to being back with you again this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.